It's like the, the patients are really rejoicing on their experience. This is the Coleman Associate Innovation Podcast. Innovation? Yeah, innovation. New, original, and creative. This podcast is designed to challenge the way you think about how healthcare is delivered. Ladies and gentlemen, the captain has turned on the fasten seatbelt sign. If you haven't already done so, please take your seat and fasten your seatbelt. Welcome to the Coleman Associates Innovation Podcast, the podcast that brings innovations and best practices in healthcare to your podcasting app. I'm Adrian, your host, and today I'm so excited to introduce to you Ernesto Barahona. Ernesto, do you want to introduce yourself? Again, Ernesto Barahona. I am the Chief Development Officer for St. John's Community Health Center, one of the largest community health centers in South Los Angeles. St. John's operates a network of 23 health centers. We have three mobile clinics that circulate throughout our span of our service planning area, focusing on on mobile health. We have been providing healthcare to the South LA community for the past 55 years. We're 780 employees strong, and our services, our core of our services are medical services, family planning, prenatal care, mental health, dentistry. But I think what St. John's is so unique and so powerful around is our programming. We have the most innovative programming that a health center can actually house. We were the first health center that launched a transgender health program. And, you know, and within that, you know, we realized the needs of our community as we got closer to the transgender community. We learned so many other needs that the community had. So we developed programming around that. We also were the first health center to actually have a reentry program where we made partnerships with, you know, correctional institutes and we were ready. Once the inmates were released, we were ready to take them in, counsel them, support them, provide them with health care. And so, you know, I think that the programming is, is so connected and complements the blue of medical and core services that we provide. So it's a really exciting health center with so, so much potential and incredible commitment to our community. What do you think has been your biggest success throughout this process? And the empowerment, the empowerment that frontline staff has received. I mean, they've been empowered to make decisions. It was their idea. You know, it was those four hours a week that they came up with their ideas that they were going to test. And once they realized that they came with the perfect recipe, lack of, you know, words for workflows, you know, they presented with data, I think, and they realized this care teams, you know, made up of receptionists, you know, benefit counselors, you know, frontline staff. They come to the IT team and they say, we need laptops and we need iPads and we need, technology, and you know, all the stuff that they need because they can prove that with these tools, it impacts positively the patient experience and are getting us closer to our goals. So, you know, historically, St. John's had this modality of like top down, like here's your workflow, you know, let me train you on it. And it came from the top. Now, this is different because DPI is different because it's bottom up, it's organic. And so here they are, you know, this line staff saying, hearing from the I team, how many iPads do you need? Five. Okay, you'll get them in, a, in two days. We'll place the order. We'll put a rush on the order. Cool. We need this. 
We need scales in every room because all the vitals are now done in every room. We need scales. And Liz Meister, a chief financial officer, which I adore, but you know, it's gonna be a little frugal. Green lighting, everything. And the care teams are like, okay, I'm heard. And what I what we need is given to us, but it has to be data-driven. And that was the first thing that we never deviated. So I think that's the overarching powerful accomplishment, Adrian, that folks feel empowered. I love that. Ernesto, take us back to 2019, the time before COVID. What on earth made you decide to do DPI at your organization? Oh, okay. So first of all, I want to say that, you know, in 2017, I came across the methodology of DPI and it just never left me. Um, I actually was exposed for the first time at a NAC conference and then I came back to my health center and I really followed up with, you know, the free tools that are available. And I grabbed them all. I grabbed all of the free tools. And then I thought, I can pull this off. We attempted, we tried, and we did have successes. But, you know, they were not across the board. And so I grabbed my successes and my data. And I happened to meet uh, Melissa again at another NAC conference in San Antonio. And I and I shared with her what I found and, you know, what we've been able to change. And she was very supportive and left, came back to the health center, attempted to continue the work. And I realized that there was a true science to this and there was a specific approach that I didn't have and the resources weren't there. So I went to my boss, the president CEO, and I said, I believe St. John's is in dire need of re-engineering and reinventing uh, the way we do our work. Would you commit to this? It took a lot of lobbying. I had to go to a lot of the chiefs one-on-one, you know, and pushing. Finally, the green light was given. At the same time, because I'm the chief development officer, at the same time I was pushing the DPI idea, I was working with my grant writers to get me a grant. And I can tell you, we went to UniHealth and we, I mean, I just put everything on paper. Everything I'd learned about DPI and what the outcomes, I put them on paper for $150,000 over two years. Now, with the money in my hand, and the DPI process and the other, I, it came together and I got complete green light. And we were signing, uh, I think 2018, we began to, to sign our contracts and the, the work began. And we were, you know, we were getting the work off the ground. We, were, we went through a very serious and rigorous team selection, learned a lot. Just the team selection was incredibly challenging. And I think I had heart pre assigned to us and we would leave those conversations with like, what just happened in there? We're looking for those like outside of the box thinkers, you know, the creative ones, the ones that are always talking and coming up. That's, that's Those are the characteristics that we're hungry to identify and pull. And it would turn into like, oh my God, this is so awful. You know, it's like, I'm, it was just like this complaining, negative Nelly kind of, dialogue and we're like oh god okay we're, let's move to another group so but we did a lot of work and we finally had the teams and then the teams began to do their baseline and baseline collection adrian is is again a tough a tough process because the messiness comes up it's identified not only that but it's written on this big old pieces of paper, you know, and it's like, whoa, people are like sitting there, like witnessing, like living the nightmare that we created and the, the bottlenecks. And it, it's, 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 it's an eye-opening experience, but we did all that. We successfully accomplished that. And then we went into learning session one, which was a big success. And then COVID hit us. I still ask myself, why did we stop? You know, I, I, I am very proud to be part of a, a team at St. John's that was so aggressive around COVID. 
I mean, we, we vaccinated over half a million people. You know, we really took on the responsibility. But I still question, you know, did we need to stop. At that time, I took a step back and I joined the team and I supported the decision that COVID was going to slow down and come to a screeching halt. What was the process like getting it restarted? Because sometimes after you do so much work and some of the painful work, it's like really hard to get it restarted. I remember three or four phone calls that I had with the Coleman team. There's never going to be a perfect moment. Let's be realistic. People are apprehensive of DPI. Don't forget that. You know, they would, they would look at me, the clinic managers and the regional directors would look at me like, oh, that we didn't successfully kill that. No, you didn't. It's just lingering. It's waiting. <laughs> no. And then we, you know, we had a regroup. The teams that had been selected, they were not there anymore. A lot of them had left. So we regrouped and we identified our teams. What was that last year in October, 2021, we came together and everyone was like, oh, learning sessions, you know, here we go. But um, it came together. Just so everyone on the podcast knows, essentially where you all are is you've had your learning session for, which is the capstone learning session of the DPI Collaborative, but you're not done with us. Is that correct? We're not. We're not. I think we're done with the first leg of the project. You know, we were successful at DPI in seven health centers. We have nine more to go. Yeah. So not resting on your laurels by any means, ready to... No, you know, actually, you know, we, I think we start our work in August. What have you seen in terms of results produced from the DPI teams that went through your first wave and you all as an organization, what have you seen in terms of results produced? Many, you know, many, many types of, all of them positive results. There is a cohesion in all, in all levels. Like even the C-suite is engaged. I mean, there's not a one... Uh, one C-suite meeting, the DPI doesn't come up. I, that's that's just from, you know, the leadership uh, of St. John's. And it's, it's at the tip of their tongue. And then we look at the numbers, you know, uh, we, we're still with, although I-teams are no longer needed, I-team meetings, we decided that even though we had fully rolled out officially DPI, we were still going to meet as an I. So we continue to meet and monitor the data and the numbers tend, are continuing to trend the right way. I mean, the uh, our goal is to see 21 patients in one day. And six clinics are hitting 19 to 20 patients. There's a clinic that consistently for the health center for the past two weeks has been hitting their goals and their cycle time. And it's one of the largest ones. It was the clinic that everyone said it was hell to go in there. It's, it's the, it, because it's such a large health center and the patient population is you know, we have seven providers at a given time. It's, it's a really fast, high-yielding clinic. And so, Adrian, the toughest clinic, the largest health center is the one that's the past two weeks is trending every single day. And so, you know, chief financial officer is looking at us like, we're going we're gonna to be great. This is going to yield financial gains. The other one that uh, the other one uh, accomplishment that I really want to highlight and I want folks to know is that as a federally qualified health centers, we're mandated by the feds, by, by HRSA, to um, have a composition of 51% of our board consumers, meaning they come to the clinic. Well, guess what? At the last two board meetings ago, uh, we meet monthly, once once a month. Lilia, the president of the board, who's a consumer, started her meeting by saying, what's happening at St. John? And, you know, when once they, the president of the board says that, you're like, oh, wow, you know, uh, everyone's paying attention. And she said, I went to William and I was in and out in 35 minutes. 
She goes, what's going on? You know, Jim had an opportunity, our, my boss, the president and CEO, to explain what we've done. And she said, well, I can tell you that everyone in the lobby is talking about, like, they're ready for us. Wow. You know, it's like the, the patients are really rejoicing on their experience. I love that your patients and even your board members are noticing a difference. I went ahead and pulled up some of your data to kind of couch that with, and you all went from an average cycle time of 95 minutes to 54 minutes, an average no-show rate of 26% to 21%, and an average wait of 38 days for an appointment to 28 days. And it sounds like you're still making improvements. That's very impressive, especially for such a large organization. So one of the things that you all did particularly well as a leadership team was setting up your infrastructure team. And for our podcast listeners who don't know, anytime that you're doing a collaborative or a rapid DPI or anything, we set up almost always an infrastructure team that is a group of leaders that kind of works alongside the DPI teams to remove barriers. So can you tell us a little bit about your I-team, how you set it up and set what your successes have been? So we walked away from learning session with, you know, the I-team is going to need to be created. We were told the characteristics of the I-team and their responsibilities. So I went and knocked on doors of folks that I thought would be a wonderful partner to have. I kind of handheld that selection because I know the health center. You know, I, I think that you're looking for the same way you're looking for those creative, innovative innovators to be part of the care teams. You're looking for those leaders that have enough responsibility in cloud to really remove barriers because that's the job. Yeah. Where you're going to get, you're going to get a lot of reports from the ground saying, oh, this is not working. So let's find those folks that can really understand what the barrier is and have the presence and the respect to change them. So made up of um, clinic managers, we decided that Every health center that was working on the ground, DPIing, that manager needed to be part of the dialogue because they were the closest to the care. So that was big. We also invited our regional, our regional managers to also be a part because they support their managers, which later support our, the care teams. And then we invited the regional medical directors because if you, you know, if you have experience or have, are thinking of experience in DPI, the medical team become really challenged. The That's core true. of how they provide healthcare is questioned, not in the bad way, but they, some of them experience it as in the bad way. So we had a really good representation. We had three regional medical directors that our chief medical officer made available to us. And that made the IT. It's very important. Do you have any examples you could share with us about how your IT removed a barrier for a DPI team? There was a big challenge. Our cycle times as we were testing were, were really working, you know, from A to B, from B to C. But then we had the, we had this, if a patient needed lab work, then they were sent back into the lobby after the medical visit, waiting for the lab opportunity, for the lab technician to come, you know, call them into the lab for their blood draws. So all the great work was being blown because they were being bottlenecked into this lab. You know, it's like our cycle times are really freaking off the charts. We're not making any progress. So the barrier was one care team decided to bring the lab into the exam room. Oh my God. Medical assistants were like, no, we're not doing that. We haven't done that in a long time. We're afraid of blah, blah. So here we go. A partnership between operations and a partnership between medical. How do we train up our medical assistants again so they feel comfortable delivering labs in the exam room? And 
I couldn't do it. I mean, you know, not, not even the chiefs could do it. It was really the regionals that needed to go in there. We reached out to our lab, foundation lab. They're, they do all of the, you know, all of the laboratory work. We have a CLIA a waiver lab. So we reached out to our, our, our lab that has a great account with us. And we said to Sam, I said, hey, Sam, would you send your phlebotomist over to our seven clinics and train our, our MAs? And this, he said, sure. So we grabbed them all and we all lined up, staff and everyone. I mean, I remember one Friday I came out of my office and there was a line in, at the corporate building into the main conference room. And I said, what's going on? All the staff volunteering to be guinea pigs with the needles. And the MAs were practicing. And I was like, oh, I love DPI, but I'm not going to stand in that line. <laughs> I'm like, I love DPI, but no. They're like, come on. I'm like, this is all your idea. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that one. But that was a big barrier. Yeah. And, you know, the care team could not move it. There's no way the care team was going to be able to make that. You know, they 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 had data. They had data that when they played with that phlebotomist and they brought the phlebotomist into the room, the cycle right, went down. And so we used the data and helped make you know the decision. Now, if all seven health centers are conducting all of their laboratory work, in the, in the medical room. Wow. And I think what really sets you all apart is I cannot tell you how many times that same issue has come up at a health center and the I team sees it as unmovable or unchangeable. And I'm curious what your thoughts are. I think it's a natural, you know, reaction. I mean, we're talking about this, this whole lab work was, you know, like completely gutting this lab. So each health center has a lab and, you know, we've equipped it and we have chairs. And, and so, you know, everyone experienced it like we had gone to a place that to the impossible, you know, so it was, it was a natural reaction. And we all had to talk about the liabilities. There were some concerns about like what happens, you know, if a patient passes out of the room and which was. Some of them were kind of illogical because it's like, okay, I mean, if they pass out in your lab on, uh, you know, on the chair, they fall to the floor. But in the room, they're laying on a bed. So, uh, you know, but, you know, it's, the reactions are going to be there. And I think, I think how you engage them is you have to hear each and every one's reaction because that's, they, they need to be validated. You know, you, then you start the dialogue, the pros and the cons, you know, and then you move, you begin to move the conversation to where, you're then focused on the data. Look at the data. You know, the numbers, the, the cycle times are dropping. The patient is happy. You lead your argument and, and, and with respect about with the people that are worried, pushing them back into like the outcome for one entire afternoon and look how great it looks and it's doable. So there's always, you know, convincing and bring the other ones into the fold. Reactions are perfect. You know, negative feedback, that's part of our growth. Is there any advice you would give to infrastructure teams that are just getting started? The genuine commitment must be there. You know, everyone, everyone that's in the I team has a, a desk full of work. You, your days are full. Yes, we, we acknowledge that in, and we really value that you've made this commitment. You must go to your care team. You must spend time with them. Commit. Look, if you can go one day, let us know. We'll send another I-team representative. But they have to be cared for. They're the ones that are doing so much in a space where people are looking at them. The others are like, what are you doing? You know, you're bringing more work to me. They're not very popular. They're not. And so the I-team needs to commit. That member needs to commit that they're going to go and listen and be supportive. And they cannot miss those meetings. I, 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 we personally saw... We have documentation of an I-team representative that was not really going to their health center. Their, their, their um, care team 
decided to meet on a Friday afternoon. So, you know, Friday afternoons, everyone gets lazy. Everyone wants to go home. And I think that's what was happening. And our care team was really struggling. Their data was not, was, their testing was not really successful. And we, then we realized it was us. It was the IT member. So had a meeting and talked about commitment and the importance. That's a, a, a no-go for, for any IT your IT representative must be 100%. What do you wish you had known earlier about this process? It's tough. It's not easy from from many perspectives. It's time-consuming. Challenges come from all angles, you know, pushback from the very, very beginning. And it's completely okay. But, you know, when you get it almost every single day as you're testing or, you know, you're working with this team, or I wish I would have been prepared and dealing with that. Be ready. Be ready to commit commit a lot of a lot of time as much as you can. When when you go through learning session three and then you kind of map out the routes, that's a tough area because you're deciding your health centers are deciding the modality they'll be using. You know, big bang, which is you know challenging. Uh, are they going to go viral? And that's when you leaders, supporters of DPI that really want this to succeed, better be ready to work long hours. Yeah. Long hours. That's a, the coaching. I think a lot of folks don't hear us when we say leaders need to coach. Have you gotten on the floor and coached? Uh, something that personal. I, I don't know what I was thinking, but I thought, oh, before we start the rollout, you know, let me take a quick trip. You know, we've been in COVID and, you know, you know, in, at home or whatever. So I say, I'm going to go to Paris for two weeks for my birthday, February. And and I, I partner with Wendy, who is the coordinator for our DPI. And Wendy looks at me and says, do you really think that's really going to happen? And I was like, excuse me. And she says, that's not going to happen. We're about to roll. I said, okay, well, you have a point. I began to coach. The last week of February, I began to coach six days a week. I did not stop till I think the end of April. Every week, six days, I was a different health center coaching once we rolled out because you really want to have that really close to you. You really want to make sure that it's connecting. And, you know, this is especially on big bags. You know, you're like jockey the schedule and people are looking at me like, what? I, whatever. I know, I know, I know a little bit, but you're jockeying the schedule, you know, and, you know, miss opportunities. I could hear the screaming from the back, you know, in the clinic, like, oh, there's a missed opportunity. And, you know, it was a big deal. So I coached and I loved it and I got better and better. And it was being part of the clinic. I miss it. When, when, when coaching was done and everything was said and done, I kind of came down from a high. Then I kind of felt depressed, you know, and, and Wendy and the manner and, and, and the chief operating officer would, would tell me like, it's done. And I said, yeah, you know, I kind of miss going. I want to go back to the office. Coaching was a wonderful opportunity. It makes you really understand the operations of your health centers in and out. So you, when you go to bed, you know exactly what's happening every day that health center is open. And that's, you know, that reassures me. I have a clear understanding of what our patients experience what our staff experiences it's 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 huge are you going to reschedule your trip to paris i know our podcast listeners will want to know well we're starting august so (laughs) (laughs) gotta get it in before the next paris in july i really don't know (laughs) Um, 
You know, I think I'm going to treat um, myself when um, the nine, nine health centers are finally DPI, which will be, you know, sometime next year. That'll be, you know, I'll, I'll take a little, you know, trip here and there. But yeah, it's no, not, not anytime soon. You're, you're going to definitely deserve your trip to Paris after going through with six teams and the nine teams. Absolutely. <laughs> so do you have any advice for our listeners? Well, for the folks that ha- are have been DPI, have re-engineered their health centers, I think it's I don't think it ever stops. I think growth and change is what you want. So don't think don't think that your health center is DPI and is DPI. No, there's always going to be opportunities. Actually, it makes you more sensitive and more uh, alert. Yeah, to the to to opportunities. Mm-hmm. Can always your health center can always operate much better. There's always always that opportunity, and so and you have you have the tools. You know, we have the tools now. When we see an opportunity, something that's innovative, let's do it. For the ones that are considering DPI, as as great and as successful and fine tuning your health center is, DPI will make it even better. It would really make it grow, move it to the next level. If your health center is really struggling, then it's pretty straightforward, yeah? You will definitely benefit within just the testing period. You'll start seeing that it's completely turning around your, your operations. It's very palpable. So, you know, wherever wherever a health center is at, there's always opportunities from DPI. Yeah, there is, absolutely. You know, I, I, I came across this project, this program, this new way of working in 2017. And I think I know, I know that what made it so incredibly exciting to be a part of is that you want to really believe that this is what you want to do. And I, I, I immediately caught on. I personally caught on that I knew the health center, my our health center needed, needed would benefit. And I kept it close to my heart. I kept it close to my, you know, my brain, like we need to execute this. So I think the journey was, you know, this process is not easy. It's difficult. It's okay. That's perfectly fine. The successes and and, and, and challenges are fine. Just keep it close to you. Just make sure that you believe that this is what is meant for your health center, that this is what really needs to happen. Keep it close to to your heart and, and, and your mind. Very important for me. Don't lose track what you're implementing. I can wait till you know August when the other health centers uh, hit the ground running, and I know that we're going to learn. We're going to learn more, and, and make sure that as many folks as you can get close to the project, the better foundation you have. Some folks are not going to want to care and pretend they don't care, but when you they see the progress, they see their lives getting better, our patient satisfaction, jump on that, bring them closer. Thanks to Ernesto for sharing his wisdom with us. And thanks so much to St. John's and my colleague Harpreet for making this whole episode possible. Make sure that you like and subscribe to the Coleman Associates Innovation Podcast so that you never miss an episode. If you or someone that you know should be interviewed for an episode, shoot us an email at notify at colemanassociates.com or reach out to us on social media. To keep up with all the Chispa happenings, follow us on LinkedIn. We also have a new Be Real account. So if you're one of the trendy ones who has be real account you can always follow us on be real and then also shout out to jonathan at bionic squid for all of his podcasting help we'll see you next time Uh